All right, we're going to do some uh, Bible study. And I say that in distinction to a talk or even a sermon that I normally give around here. And so let me encourage you to get a Bible. If you brought yours, you're in good shape. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. If you didn't bring one, we have several copies over here on the table that uh, somebody would be glad to to help you get a copy of. But uh, we'll also be moving back into the Old Testament just a little bit. And so uh, let me encourage you to do that. We've said across the summer it's a little more casual, a little more laid back. Um, And so we were going to try to make some time uh, as we went through the summer for question and answer time after the teaching. And so uh, depending on how quickly I can get through what I feel like God wanted me to to share today, uh, we may do a little Q&A near the end of that. All of this uh, leading to our receiving the Lord's Supper. And so uh, you'll want to be having God prepare your heart. You'll want to be uh, doing what what this whole new series that I'm launching today kind of is all about. How do I get my life in alignment with him? And so uh, these moments are intended to help and facilitate your coming into alignment with him and then uh, to receive these elements. That last song uh, was just a beautiful articulation of uh, what we want to be about where we are acknowledging that he is Messiah. To say name above all names is to say his person has the supremacy, has the priority over every other person, over every other thing. And uh, I'm, I'm asking the question today for you to answer for yourself. Is that true? It, it, it's true whether you believe it or not. But is it true for you? Uh, Do you acknowledge him in that kind of way? Do you engage him in that kind of way? Are you experiencing him in that kind of way? I'm getting way ahead of myself. So uh, let me, uh, as we get ready to get into the text, share with you briefly a little anecdote that happened this past week. I was at a coffee shop with a friend. Nobody in the room, so no, I'm not talking about you. Uh, Because I have coffee with a lot of you during the week. But this was a non-Meadowbrook person. And uh, we were standing in line. And we were kind of bantering back and forth uh, playfully uh, about who was going to pay for the coffee. Uh, I've done that little game with a couple of you. So uh, I thought it was my turn to pay. And so we were bantering back and forth about that. And the barista is waiting patiently. And she's like, do you have an order? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we made our order. And and, and in case you're interested, mine was uh, a tall drip coffee with no room. So... uh, We're still bantering back and forth, and she brings our drinks to us, and she hands my friend his drink and repeated to him whatever it was that he had ordered, some soy weird thing. And um, then she hands me my drink and says, here's your tall drip coffee with extra room. And uh, I start to to pay, and I did a double take. You ever done a double take? I was like, did I just hear that right? And so now I'm looking at her because I'd been, like, engaging my friend. And I said, that's a what? And she said, well, that's a tall drip coffee with extra room. Which is room for cream for those of you that don't drink coffee. And I don't want that. So uh, as I'm looking at her, I can tell, okay, she's messing with me. And I said, okay, thank you. That's exactly what I asked for. And, you know, I get my cup and it has no room. It's got all the coffee there. The point being is that sometimes... We can get preoccupied in life and 
matters of communication are coming our way that we're not clearly getting. We have to do a double take. We have to like, what? What was that? To make sure that we got it clearly. That's exactly what happens in today's text. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be seeing in the life of John the Baptist where he has to do a double take with respect to his view about Christ. Do you feel like you see Christ clearly? Do you feel like you have the whole picture, the holistic view of who Jesus is and what Jesus is about? We're going to see how that played out for John as we're looking in chapter 11. We're going to pick it up in verse 2. Now, when... John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. He sent word by his disciples and he said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That may be a verse you want underlined in your Bible. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? And what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet... This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Okay, there's a whole lot to unpack there. I'm going to do it as relatively brief and quick as I can because if we do have a little QA, I'd like to engage that with you. So leave your Bible open. I'm going to go right down through the verses. 
see how that is playing out for you. And then we're going to uh, move back and look at some previous things as well. I want you to see in the first place that uh, this whole double-take experience for John began to play out because of his expectations. Now, a little quick history, if you uh, weren't mindful of it. John is in prison. The reason that he is in prison is because uh, he, as a prophet, spoke out against the king. The king, who just happened to have taken his brother's wife as his own. And so the king is living this flaunted, kind of out there, uh, adulterous life. And John called him on it, and John went to jail. And we'll pick up the rest of John's story in a couple of chapters when we find that he's going to actually be executed for that. He will lose his head over having spoken out for the purposes of God uh, against the king. So he's in jail, probably anticipating his execution. And he's not been out where Jesus has been out doing ministry and uh, carrying forth the the, uh, work of the kingdom of God, right? And so he has not had this firsthand experience of seeing what Jesus has been doing. He's just been hearing stories. And he's been hearing stories about healings and miracles and exorcisms and, uh, you know, Jesus helping the poor and things like that. And he's like, you know, what is that? That's not what I prepared the way for. And so his expectations are getting a little sideways with Jesus. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had uh, notions about who Jesus is and what Jesus should be about, and it got you sideways with him because he's not doing what you thought he would do? He was not meeting your expectations. Now, to get at what those expectations were, just flip back a couple of pages from chapter 3, and you'll see real quickly... What uh, John was thinking Jesus was going to be about. And look with me in verse 11, chapter 3. He said, here's, here's what the Messiah, here's what the Christ is going to do. He's going to come and he's going to baptize. I baptize you with water. But the one who's coming after me, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to immerse you in God's Spirit. And he's going to baptize you in fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. We could go on. But John's notion about the Messiah, about Jesus, was that he was going to come in kind of this judging, clearing house kind of way. He's going to be like this farmer that goes to... To sift the wheat. And so he would take his winnowing fork and toss the wheat up in the air. And the wind would separate the chaff from it. And the heavier wheat would fall back down on the threshing floor. He said, that's what he's going to do to people. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. The saved from the lost. The redeemed from the condemned. He's going to be like a refiner's fire that will purify by burning off all that is dross. Now, where in the world did John get all those notions? Well, he got them from the Bible. Flip back with me just a couple of more pages. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, just before Matthew. 
And look with me in chapter number 3, Malachi 3, verse 1. Now, this was 400 years before John. The prophet Malachi says, speaking of the coming Messiah, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord, whom you will seek, will suddenly come to his temple... And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? It's going to be a tough day when the Messiah comes. Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings of righteousness to the Lord. Turn page over to chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Friends, that's where John got his ideas. That and many other Old Testament passages that we could point to. That when the Messiah comes, when the Christ comes, he will come in a role as a judge. And he's going to separate wheat from chaff. He's going to purify uh, corrupted precious metals, silver and gold, etc. He's, he's going to impact our lives in those kinds of ways. And, and so, so what's Jesus doing? Healing the lame. Causing deaf to hear, blind to see, dead to raise, poor people to be encouraged. And John's like, so what is that? I'm rotting in jail. What do we got going on here? Expectations. I want you to see in the second place some clarifications. Because as we begin to unfold the text, some things are going to begin to get clear, first of all, about Jesus. So John gets some of the guys that have been serving with him who are not in jail. And he says, go find Jesus And ask Jesus, are you the one that we've been waiting to come? Are you the Messiah? Or is there somebody that's going to come after you? I, you know, I just want to make sure because I'm about to lose my head over this. Do you ever have that kind of question? Is this Jesus thing the real thing? Is this stuff they talk about at church? Is this stuff that's in the Bible? Is that really the real deal? And so John's asking the question. The guys come and they find Jesus and they say, you know, John sent us. Are you the one or is there someone coming after you? And here's what Jesus tells them to tell John. Go back to jail and tell John this. What did he say? You looking at the text? He said, tell him that the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is coming to the poor. You think that's going to satisfy John? 
And then what's the next sentence say that I encourage you to underline? He says, and anyone who doesn't stumble over that, who's not offended by who I am, is blessed. I'll say more about that in a minute. So, how is it that John and Jesus apparently are on different pages about what the Messiah and the Christ are to be about? Well, turn back a few more pages to the book of Isaiah. Okay? We're not going too fast here, are we? You doing good? The book of Isaiah, chapter 61. And we're going to look at verse 1. Another ancient prophetic statement pointing ahead to talk about the Messiah or to talk about the Christ when he comes. And in uh, verse 1, chapter 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. That's what Christ or Messiah means, the anointed one. And I've been anointed to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn. And we could go on, and there's many other passages that are like that, but here's the deal. Who had the correct picture, image, if you will, of what the Christ and the Messiah would be about. Both of them did. The rest of the story is that everything John thought the Messiah would be about, kind of this harsh, judging, winnowing, dividing of people, that all happened. It happened after John died. After John was executed, Jesus then did, in fact, bring forth himself in those kinds of ways, especially in the last week of his life, the week of passion, as we refer to it. But more holistically, Jesus was also about grace and mercy and blessing and setting captives free and bringing good news and hope. So. Some clarification. A more holistic picture of Jesus sees sees that he's both full of grace and mercy and blessing, as well as holiness, righteousness, purity, and judgment. Holistic. It's very important, friends, because we don't want to look at Jesus holistically. We're like John in so many ways. We like to pick and choose our images of Jesus. And what it means for him to be a Messiah. And some of us are over in John's camp. And we get really ticked off at how fallen and broken and busted this world is. And where's God and what's God going to do about it? Come on. And then there's others of us that want to pick and choose this earlier part of Jesus' ministry that was full of hope and good news and blessings and miracles and answered prayers. And so we get into conversations with one another And with our culture that leaves us saying stuff like, well, my God would not fill in the blank. And almost every time somebody says something like, well, my God would not. They're not talking about Jesus in a holistic 
kind of way. Let's also get clarification about John. I think what we have in chapter 11 of Matthew is one of the most marvelous gifts that Scripture gives us, and that is a genuine, authentic look at a follower of God. So we want to put these guys on, uh, in the Bible up on platforms, and you know they can do no wrong, they have no problems, they, they just were uh, people filled with faith and so on. And here we get this glimpse, and to me it's one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is so authentic. Because you'll see this in story after story after story. You'll see the weak side of a, of a follower of God. Of a person who typically is full of faith, full of commitment, full of conviction. But every now and then has this wavering moment that questions. Because that's the way we are. That's the way humanity is. And so we've been blessed with this great look at John. And, and to get clear about who John is, Jesus says, what's the text say? There's never been a man born of woman. That's to say, there's no other human being as great as John. Now, why was John so great? It's not because of his personal worth, but because of his mission. There have been all these centuries of prophets who had been looking forward to the coming of the Christ, the coming of the Messiah. They got to prophesy. They got to tell. They got to forecast the coming of the Christ. When you get to John, who's the last in the line of these prophets, he doesn't tell the message of guess who's coming. He says he is already here. John is the greatest man that ever lived. Because he had the unique privilege to announce the Messiah is here. But notice that kind of leads us into what Jesus begins to tell us about us. Because Jesus then on the heels of that says, and as great as John is, was the least of my disciples is greater than John. That's you. That's me. How so? Again, not because of our inherent personal worth, but because of our mission. John was greater than anybody before him because he got to say, the kingdom of heaven is here now. Jesus is here now. And we are greater than John because we're living it. We get to live the present kingdom of heaven that is among us. We get to see his redemptive activity that for centuries people of faith were longing for and looking forward to. But we're in the middle of it now. We get to enjoy all of the kingdom activity that's going on around us right now. And it is still a foretaste of what is to come. So that's a little bit about who we are. But Jesus goes on to say, don't fall into the trap of not having your preferences tickled and satisfied. Because it is a childish game. It's an immature game. 
when you have your little preconceived notions and expectations not being met, you get, you get crosswise with God. He said, it's just like children playing little games. And some of them want to play the wedding game. And they're playing the flute and everybody ought to be happy, but everybody won't be happy. And others are playing the funeral game. And they're playing mournful dirges. But everybody won't play and be sad. And so you got this whole group over here unhappy because everybody won't be happy. And you got this other group over here unhappy because everybody won't be sad. He goes, it's just the silliest childish game. But it's even more than a game. He said, if you're stumbling over me, Jesus, in that kind of way, that's a deadly trap. Now, if you're in Matthew 11 looking at the text, when he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I asked you to underline it. That word offense is a very interesting Greek word. Scandalizo, which is the same word from which we get the word scandal. He said, you're blessed if you're not scandalized by me. Now, here's what that word means. That word doesn't just simply mean if you don't trip over me, if you don't stumble over me, but if you don't stumble and find yourself trapped in a trap that can kill you. That's what the word means. Now, some of you may have seen in the news this past week uh, a story that came out of Toledo, Ohio, where an 11-year-old girl was playing in a parking lot. Did you see that story? And uh, for whatever reason, the electronic gate began to open. A car was not coming that would trip it and cause it to open. It just began to open. And because there was no car around, she did not notice that the gate was opening. And she's playing in the little parking lot with her friends. And that electronic gate opens all the way until it hits the fence. Only she's between the gate and the fence. And it killed her. 11 years old. That kind of being trapped is exactly what scandalizo means. Jesus says, don't be trapped between your expectations and what the Bible says is the reality about the Messiah so that it kills you, so that you don't have eternal life in me. Blessed, it it could be rendered this way. Blessed is the one who is not tripped up in his faith when Jesus works outside his expectations. That's what we're talking about. So, third thing and final thing. All of this means that you and I must acclimate ourselves. See, Jesus is God. He is the eternal one. He is not going to change. We are the creation of Jesus, the creator. We're constantly being changed. It behooves us to acclimate ourselves, to adjust to everything that we discover about Christ and everything we discover about His kingdom and everything that begins to unfold to us from His word that is His revelation to us about these things. 
Are you following me? I'm about to wrap it up. So in light of what we've been hearing, getting clarity about who Jesus is, clarity about who John was, clarity about what that means to us and who we are, and how that can get sideways with expectations, what are the acclamations, what are the changes, what are the adjustments that you and I must make? Well, friends, it behooves us to get a holistic view. Double take, triple take, quadruple take, however many takes it takes to get a holistic view of Christ. And one of the ways that God has seen fit to reveal the Christ to us is through the Scriptures, through the Bible. So what, what's your thinking about the Bible? You go, well, it's it's big book. Friends, it's got to be more than a big book. It's got to be an open book to you. It's got to be an understood book to you. It's got to be a studied book to you. I'm not trying to make an idol out of the Bible. But it is a primary means by which God has revealed Himself to us. And you have to... uh, Consider not just what it teaches, but is that reliable? You have to answer those questions for yourself. I've wrestled with all those questions, and I've come out to the point that says the Bible is reliable. The Bible is accurate. The Bible is without mixture of error. It's revelation of God. Now, lest you just nod, let me poke a stick into a hornet's nest and let's get real one of the things that the Bible teaches John especially got this about the Messiah is that God rejects sin he finds sin abhorrent it's disgusting So much so, it separates him from humanity. And people that practice sin are sinners. Yes, we are. The Bible holistically also talks about how Jesus loves sinners. He is got his heart bent toward us. He wants to bless us. He wants to liberate us. Not just from the penalties of sin, but from all the daily problematic things that come from sin. So, you have to answer for yourself. Do you believe that? Is that true? Is that reliable revelation from Scriptures? Because what I think about Jesus determines everything about how I respond to him, how I follow him, how much obedience there's working in me, how much I exalt and worship him, how much I will serve him and be on mission for him. All the things we've been talking about in the weeks leading up to now. It has to do with whether my life is in alignment with him or not. So, one of the most uh, uh, pervasive issues in our culture right now is the issue of homosexuality. 
The Bible says that that is sin. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, that along with liars and adulterers and fornicators, that is, people who have sexual relationships before marriage, all of these will go to hell and not go to heaven, including homosexuals. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Old Testament says. That's what the New Testament says. Now, this past week, in one of our local papers, there was a letter to the editor written by a guy who was pretty upset about that notion. It seems that he had discovered that in a church, literally about four or five minutes from here, the youth Sunday school class had taken on the subject of homosexuality, according to the Bible, and the way that youth class kind of settled on that issue was that, uh, well, we think the Bible teaches us to love the sinner but hate the sin. And the letter writer to the paper was incensed, just ballistic about that. How intolerant, how arrogant, how can a church teach youth Prejudicial attitudes akin to racism is what his letter said to the editor. And obviously he's coming from a perspective and he's coming from a worldview. He's coming from a cultural notion that the homosexual lifestyle is simply an alternative lifestyle to the heterosexual lifestyle. Both should be absolutely respected. Both should be tolerated. Both should be valued. Both should be honored, etc. Listen, he was not born with those notions. That was a message that he bought. And he bought it from our culture. I'm suggesting to you a different message that I have bought. I bet my life on it that comes from the scriptures. And you have to decide, am I going to be a culturally driven, culturally informed person? Or am I going to be a biblically driven, biblically informed person? person. Because if the Bible is what reveals Christ to me, and I'm going to get my holistic view from him, then I've got to know where the cultural voice and the cultural message differs from that. Are you following me? And so here's how that plays out biblically. Jesus would absolutely love a homosexual person. He would sit down and have a meal with a homosexual person. It would be his nature uh, to be bent toward trying to bless, encourage, uh, find a way to be meaningful to a homosexual person. He would absolutely reject the lifestyle and the behavior. You say, how do you know that? Example after example, example in the New Testament. Just take John 8, for example, with the adulterous woman that was thrown at his feet. He absolutely rejected her adulterous lifestyle and behavior, but he embraced her. He loved her. And he sought to bring the forgiveness of God into her life and set her on a different trajectory so that she would do it no more. 
You say, listen, I really am sensitive to this issue. I know some of you have loved ones, you have family members, you have close friends that are, that are in the gay community. I, I don't mean this in any kind of mean or hateful or bashing kind of way. I'm just saying we have to get real. Because it is life and death. We don't want to stumble over Jesus and be trapped and killed by that. So I'll go on to say, one of my mentors was homosexual. I learned tremendous things from him about the person of Christ and the ways of Christ. And I I hold him in very high esteem. Here's the difference, though. He He took a vow of celibacy. And never practiced the homosexual lifestyle. He, he acknowledged, I have desires, I have temptations about other men. But by God's grace, I won't go there. Now, you've got to hear me because you're going to walk out of here and Scott said all homosexuals are going to hell. Not just homosexuals. Every sinner. All sinners go to hell. Except and unless the saving work of Christ comes upon them and redeems and begins to transform, do this whole acclamation work in them. So that doesn't mean that people who are in Christ no, more, no longer sin, but here's the difference. The Bible makes a a clarification between those who have a lifestyle or a practice of sin and those who have a lifestyle or a practice of Christ's ways who occasionally stumble and trip and fall into a sin. The Bible says all liars are going to hell. You go, Scott, I just told a lie this last week. Are you in Christ? And if you are in Christ then that means you cannot have lying as a lifestyle. Now, you may trip every now and then, and you commit a sin called lying, and you have to repent and get forgiveness for that. But the lifestyle of lying, the lifestyle of gossiping, the lifestyle of fornication, the lifestyle of adultery, the lifestyle of drunkenness, the lifestyle, I could go on and on and on, where that is the way we choose to live, and, you know, so what if there's a God that says something otherwise? That's the, the condemning So, are you in alignment with the person of Jesus? That holistic picture. Grace and mercy, condemnation and judgment. Are you in alignment with the teachings of the Bible? You know, I I still don't know what to think about that really ancient old thing. You've got to figure that out. You see, even if you reject it, which is fine. I've got a lot of friends that have rejected the Bible. I really do. That doesn't mean they won't be accountable to it if it, in fact, is true. I've bet my life on it that it's true. Are you in alignment with Jesus' missional call on you so that you are serving Him in a variety of ways every day? Okay. 
I really wanted us to do a little Q&A, and I, I talked too long. I'm sorry. So uh, I'm going to hang around here when the service is over, and if you'd like to talk about some of this, uh, let's talk about it, okay? So let me wrap it up because we want to have the Lord's Supper together. And I'll wrap it up in this kind of way. Will you? Will you follow Christ? Have you made that decision? Have you yielded to Him and given up yourself to Him? And thereby be on mission with Him. Will you study the Bible? Will you allow it to correct your life by its teachings? With God's grace empowering it all. Let's pray together. So, Father... A lot of stuff is stirred right now in us. So many thoughts, so many questions, so many issues. And I pray that your Holy Spirit that is present and among us would help begin to make sense of that, begin to bring truth home to our hearts, to our thinking. Our confession is that you are God. There is none other. Our allegiance is to you and none other. We will be your people and none other. And we celebrate you and we worship you and we honor you in the receiving of this Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.